Hi, I'm Bill Cumby. I'm a teacher at uh, First Church Ministries, and we're going through the book of Ephesians. Um, this is new for us. We're during this time of social distancing. We're uh, taping what I would normally be teaching in a Sunday school class. And uh, because of that, I'm actually experimenting with some different ways of doing things. In fact, Jose and I were talking. Jose Luna, our associate pastor, is uh, taping me right now. He's the one behind the camera, so I have a one-man audience. And uh, we were talking just about how this whole situation is causing us to really examine some of the ways we look at Scripture and, and how things are presented in community. And so you'll... Um, one of the formats I'm using here is more of a unprepared format. So we'll be talking through the scripture, but um, I will not be as highly prepared with auxiliary slides as I would normally be. And we'll be talking a lot more um, like the Ephesians actually received their, um, their letter. They received it, they read through it. Jose was talking about one uh, uh, person he was listening to said when first Bible study he went to, they read through the whole Gospel of John. And um, no commentary, just uh, a read-through of John. And that's how John was first received. And, and then people would talk about it, and then you pull it apart. But sometimes we pull things apart too much. And so I want I to maintain the understanding of what the Ephesians would have had from this letter, what they got out of it, and how it applies to us. So let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. We thank you that uh, in the midst of difficulties, you remain with us, and you also prepare ways for us to walk in, that we can uh, still communicate with one another and to communicate with you and walk with you. And Lord, I pray that as we uh, study this passage, passage about walking with God, that we would be walking with you, walking closer to you and loving you more. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, um, uh, before we get into the actual text, I want I want to talk a little about um, images in Scripture. Um, so, uh, so sometimes images, um, people take images too far. Okay? They 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 say uh, so you were dead in your sins, and that's what we're going to look at at the very beginning. And say, so, well, what does a dead man mean? Well, he can't respond. Well, yeah, a, a dead person can't respond, but. Is that the intent of that image? And so I want to talk about things here because the images are images. They're approximations. And we need to understand that they're, they're best approximations. Okay, okay when, when, when Scripture says that we're um, part of the body of Christ, it doesn't mean that we're literally a, a body. Okay, but it doesn't, in, in a spiritual sense, it does mean that we're part of Christ and, and we unite it with Christ in a way that the best approximation is a body. Uh, sometimes, it, and we're going to look here, it says that we're part of the kingdom of God, that we're part of the family of God, that we're, part of the, that we're a temple to the Holy Spirit. And those are images that do the best that they can to convey what the reality is. And so I want you to understand that because if you don't, then you, you can go into images too far and take, take things out of them that aren't true. And, and, uh, and a lot of times there's multiple images used, and so you sort of have to collage those. You've got to put those together into the image. Um, there is a, a quote here at the very bottom that, I, I, uh, that, that is worth remembering. This is from Calvin in his Institutes, and he says, uh, for even those with slight intelligence, uh, for, even, for who even of slight intelligence does not understand that as nurses commonly do with infants, God is wont to measure 
to lisp and speak it to us. He, a little rhymes almost. So, uh, thus such forms speaking do not so much express clearly what God is like as accommodate the knowledge of him to our slight capacity. And to do this, he must descend far beneath his loftiness. So th there are images that are used and there's things, uh, uh, points in scriptures where God descends, he can't explain to us. It's like a little kid that a nursemaid is trying to teach something through a rhyme that would do something. And so, so we need to understand that. If we do that, then um, it'll help us appreciate scriptures a lot more. And, and um, this is a particular passage where we're going to be dealing with that. So I just want to go over that at the beginning. Um, so this is the passage we want to look at. Um, uh, Ephesians 2, chapter 1 through 10. Um, and I basically am going to be breaking this into different sections. And so all you're going to see from, the, from now on in the text is me breaking this into separate or slides as separate sections. And I'm not going to even read this. Well, um, I'm not going to read this whole thing now. We're going to go to it into the next slide because I'm going to do with the first section. Is, so what I, I have done is I put the first section I want to talk about in larger letters while keeping the smaller text uh, down to the bottom so you see the context of the whole thing. And then I, I bolded some stuff. And so what I want to do is talk to you about what, what's the, what I think is important in this and how we need to understand it. And the first thing, of course, that pops out is you were dead in, <clears throat> you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So here we see, um, we see this imagery that I, I, I mentioned. By the way, Jose um, did a, a video yesterday of Psalm 1. I was saying, oh, you did Psalm 1. I'm going to talk about that today. But again, uh, we did not know uh, that, that one another was going to be doing that, except that someone else did. And so prepare that. So you might want to go back and look at Psalm 1, which begins, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the uh, way of the ungodly. And, um, and Jew, Jewish theology and uh, the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, picture our, our life as a walk. Okay, We walk through life. Um, there's movement and there's companionship. And so uh, and one of the things you see in, in, the, uh, in Genesis, right at the very beginning, uh, when God created uh, the heavens and the earth and then Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve sinned, it says that in the evening God, was, God would come to walk with them and talk with them. And that's how he found them hiding. And so there's a walk that in our life that um, God wants to have with us. He wants to, us to be with us. But we did not do that walk, okay? We were dead in the trespasses of sins in which we once walked. So there was a time uh, as na in our natural life and when we were born and we grew up and then we were apart from God, okay? No one is born a Christian. Um, there has always been a time in our life when we walked from God, okay? We sinned. We cried, you know, even as, as uh, little children, one of my... Uh, uh, close friends, uh, Ed Snyder, um, who's also been a spiritual mentor to me too, in many ways, say, you know what, Bill? No one has to teach a kid how to lie. They learn to do it on their own. And uh, because we have a sinful nature. So whether or not you say, 
we go to uh, we, we're condemned because of our sinful nature or sin. Uh, in other words, it's not it's not fair for God to hold me to something I haven't sinned. Sinful nature, why why am I condemned for that? Well, we're born with a sinful nature. We only show it when we start sinning. But we all start sinning. There is no exceptions there. And so, if you want to be responsible for your own sins, and that's how you should be judged, you can be judged on your own sins because we sin, and sin is rebellion to God. Sin is uh, is 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 saying I'm going to do it my way. Um, I, uh, I often say that the uh, theme song of hell is, uh, uh, pardon Frank Sinatra, but the theme song is, I did it my way, okay? That's, that's the essence of sin. We were dead in our trespasses of sin in which we once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And I... I I don't think anybody can objectively look at our world and not see that we're being lured into things that are not good by, by what we see in media and stuff like that. There is a, um, we walk in um, the course of this world, and the course of this world is, again, I did it my way. You deserve this. This is good for you. You should, you should look out for number one. Um, those things that are things, are things that we walk in, we walk, we walked, Hopefully we don't continue to walk in them, and yet I'll come to that in a second because um, uh, we always have a mixed walk. While we're in this world, uh, we have choices made daily and moment, moment by moment of whether we walk with God or whether we walk, um, whether we walk with others um, beside God. And so, so this is, it talks about us being dead in our trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Um, and among those, we also lived with the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. So, so this is one thing we need to understand. Um, not just others, but ourselves. When we sin, when we, when we are in rebellion, when we do things our way, not the way God has set out for us, we are by nature objects of wrath. Okay? Now, we have been removed from that, and we're going to be talking about that in the coming passage. But... Um, but by our nature, we were objects of wrath. There was a time when God looked at us and he was angry with what we were doing. He, he's frustrated. There are times in our lives now as believers when that happens again. So sometimes the wrath of God, um, is exp Christians get exposed to that, not as, a punish not as a judgment, but as a punishment. So there is, there is um, corrective discipline that's administered. But no longer are we children of wrath. That's one of the blessings we have. We were dead in our trespasses and sins we once walked. We were by nature objects of wrath. But, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. For it's by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he may show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So, so God being rich in mercy, God, God had no imperative to forgive. It says, there, there was a French philosopher once who, who he talked about he wasn't afraid of God because God would forgive because that's his job. But there is no imperative in God to forgive, okay? God's great love does not make an imperative for him to have mercy. But God is rich in mercy, and because of that great love he has for us. And, and here we see that um, God's great love for us is what motivated this. This is not an anger or wrath. 
issue where the God the Father was angry and the Son stepped forward to turn aside the wrath. God the Father destined us in love, okay, and made us alive together with Christ. And uh, it's by grace we have been saved, and we're going to circle back on that section. I didn't highlight it here because it gets highlighted in the next section. But he raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So there is a truth here, spiritually, that part of us is in the heavens now. We're in the heavenly places now, that there's a reality that we are with Christ. Now, Colossians explores that in a little bit more detail. But what he basically talks about is that we should be setting our minds on things above, not things on earth. That, that really, we have, been, we, we have died and we have been risen with Christ and we're seated in the heavenly realms. And so, um, this whole collection of, of the prison epistles, uh, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all dwell on the thing that our mindset needs to be different. Okay? So, I, so I, um, I used to say, um, you know, and I think it's true, uh, that most people spend a whole lot more time, devout believers spend a whole lot more time reading the newspaper than they did uh, reading the Bible. Well, we don't read newspapers as much anymore. But I would say this, that as believers, we spend a whole lot more time um, seeing the news of the world and watching, watching what's on the Internet, that what's happening and stuff like that, than we do in the Word of God, whether it's on the Internet or not, because you can access it there, too, and say, well, well yeah, but, but um, there's, there's stuff happening. And, and it's like, yeah, but the problem is, is that it's happening and it's passing, okay? What is happening now is passing, is temporary. And what, what is eternal is what we should be focusing on, and we spend so little time on that. That's why I think the destruction of the Sabbath, so that people no longer look at the Sabbath the day of, as a day of rest, a day of drawing off, a day of not filling it up with other commitments so we have time to think about God and to delve into who God is and worship. And I include myself in this. I've become very, very bad on this over the years, and it, it, it kills our soul, okay? So our soul is eternal. Well, it, it kills the vitality of our soul. It kills, it makes us, it makes us dead in our sins again, okay? So we continue to sin as Christians. You know, Martin Luther was very clear when he wrote Galatians that Christians are both sinner and saint, okay? We don't quit sinning because we're Christians. Sometimes you see this viewed as a carnal Christian and a spiritual Christian. Sometimes uh, uh, the first book that we ever studied when I became a Christian, when I was in high school, was a book, um, and it was Romans, and it was how to become a Christian, um, or how to, be, uh, how to be a Christian without being religious. And uh, it was an excellent book, and one of the, the pictures it has is what, what do you feed in your life? Are you feeding this, your sinful nature, or are you feeding your spiritual nature and so so even as i say that we, we you see the dichotomy here there's sort of like that sinful is fleshly and the spiritual is not fleshly and that's not a dichotomy it's really taught in scripture okay but what's taught in scripture is there's an eternal and there's a temporal and what are you feeding your temporal are you feeding your here and now the life here worrying about what you'll eat and what you'll drink and what you'll be doing tomorrow and the and what's happening in the world now or are you feeding the eternal about where we are 
currently seated with Christ and one day we will be with him eternally. So, so this is what he's talking about here. He raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he did that, there's a specific reason he did that, so that he could show the immeasurable riches of his grace uh, and kindness towards Christ Jesus. Again, um, the focus is on Christ, Christ uniting everything on heaven and earth under one. Um, the fact that, that all glory is given to him. So, so he is also pictured as the second Adam. Um, Romans pictures him as the second Adam. Uh, the truth is that God created man, man as, as, a, as a wonderful creation, the, epit- uh, the um, uh, pinnacle of creation, and, and that he endowed him with powers that we do not see in animals or any place else. And he was to be the ruler of this world. And yet, through, uh, because of the fallen nature, because of our sin, uh, the world got twisted and we got twisted. And so we don't see that anymore. Christ is the new Adam. Christ is the second Adam. Um, we share in humanity. Okay? And because we share in humanity, we share in being objects of wrath, as he talked about up here. But now in Christ, we're united in Christ and we share in, in the Godhead, not in us being the Godhead, not in us being deity, but us being united in a different way and being in a much more wonderful position. Um, and so that's what he's talking about here, being seated in the heavenly places of Christ. And then he goes on, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him, walk in them, excuse me. So, so how does this happen? How, how, how do we walk out? We are dead in our sins. We were dead. We couldn't, so the, the mention I made earlier, the fact that when you're dead, you can't respond, is true in this. I mean, the, the, the image is when you're dead, you really can't respond. We were dead in our sins. There's no way that we could come to God, okay? There is, there is no way. We had a free will. And, and sometimes you'll hear we're free to do what we will, but our will was so broken that we only choose bad. And that is true, but that sort of denies the nature of where did that will come from. So, I, I, again, I do believe that we are predestined by God, that God calls us in grace. He's predestined us. I also think that we have a response we have to make. So there, there is not, and, and our free will is, 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 is um, has been corrupted by our sins, but there is a will that still needs to make a decision. And so the, the instrument God gives to make that decision, and it's still, again, our decision, but the instrument he uses is, great, is faith. So by grace, he gives us faith. And faith is something we can believe in what God says and reach out. It's, it's sort of reaching out on the lifeline and have God grab us. Um, it's not by works. God did, so God, so faith, faith is the instrument. God could have used works, but if he used works, then there'd be boasting. In fact, there is a lot of boasting. A lot of people that think they're saved by works are very prideful people, okay? They, they say, well, I, you know, I earned myself. I did the right thing, okay? And so the instrument God used um, is, is uh, faith, not, not works. And let me give you an example. So when a surgeon, you have cancer, and the surgeon says, I'm going to have to um, take, uh, remove that cancer and uh, save your life by removing this cancer. And he goes in there and he opens up your chest with a scalpel and he cuts away the thing, your cancer with a scalpel. The instrument he's using is a scalpel, but the scalpel is not the one saving you. Okay? 
the surgeon is. So um, the instrument being used here is faith. Faith in itself is not the salvation. Where, well, where does the salvation come from? Well, it comes from grace. We have been saved by grace. We have not been saved by faith, okay? We've been saved by grace, and the instrument is faith. And so God gives us faith that we go on to him, and, and it's not by works, okay? But he does talk about work. So, so well, does that mean I can do anything I want? Um, well, no, it never sort of meant that, okay? It, 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 if you've been saved by faith, not by works, and your works are not judged, you have to ask yourself, what does being saved mean, okay? Okay, so, so sometimes when we say, well, I'm saved, okay, and we look at our salvation as a fire insurance, okay? By, by believing God, I'm saved. I'm, I, I, I've been saved from, from eternal damnation, okay? But the truth is, is faith is a turning away from something, turning to something. You don't just turn away from, see, we think, we look at a fire insurance, oh, I've been saved, now I can do anything I want. Well, no, you're not, because you turned right back to what you've been, you haven't been saved from anything. You're going right back to the trough, so to speak, and doing the things you shouldn't do. So true salvation is a turning away from something to something. So if you, if you say you're saved, and all you did was pray a prayer, and then you're doing exactly the stuff you were doing beforehand, I have to say, and I'm not judging you, you need to judge yourself on this, but scripture says you're probably not saved, okay, because True salvation brings about a change. You say from something to something. And so if you say, I, I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior, and I, I'm sorry for my sins, and I, I, I thank you that you've redeemed me from them, and, and that the way, those ways were death, and then I now want a new life with you. And then you go back and do all those things, and every time with God, it boggles the imagination to think that you really believe you're saved because it's not just a prayer, okay? It's God's grace that saves you, and God's grace has power, and God's grace has the authority and ability to change our lives. So, so we're saved through faith. Faith is something we have to have, okay? God does, faith is the instrument God uses, but faith is a decision we must make. And so Paul, you know, we say, well, but you're predestined. Paul never acted like predestination, and Peter, none of the, none of the apostles ever acted like predestination was a uh, shortcut to you having to believe, okay? It was always you have to believe. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, you know? We must call on God's name. And so we see that by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is a gift of God. God gave us that grace. Um, and, uh, and that faith, and not a result of work so that no man can boast. And then he says this, very interesting. This is where I was going to come back into where, where uh, Jose was talking about here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you're going to, by the way, uh, walking is a common theme in Ephesians. We're going to come up with walking again and, and, and several times as he talks about our new life in Christ. But, but here we're saying that uh, we are his workmanships. Again, uh, Pastor Bob has said several times that that word is poema, we, the word we, we get poem from. We are, in a sense, God's poem, his creation, uh, his, wor his masterpiece, you know, a poem sort of, uh, sets into uh, words the reality of a beautiful creation, you know, the appreciation of nature or, or, or other things and helps us to understand it better. Um, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we are created for good works. And so I have to say, if you're saved and you're not doing good works, you're not doing good works to be saved, but by nature, by, so our nature is changing. We're no longer objects of wrath. We're objects of God's love and our nature changes and our work, the nature of our works change. So our works become loving. They become something that help others. So we, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, again, from eternity, this, these works are not something that, um, that uh, we, we have the creativity, we do them, but and yet God destined us for that too. So there's a preparation there. God has opened this world to you. He has something that only you can do that he wants you to do. And so there's this, this workmanship that he has um, for us um, that we should walk in them. So um, I, I've given this example. It's, it's actually probably not a good example, but, but it's the best one I have right now, uh, so I'll use it again. And that's, uh, so when our kids were growing up, um, one of my kids wanted his, his, uh, his room a certain color. And uh, so we picked out the color he wanted, and, and uh, then we painted the, the room, and he helped me paint it. And, and the point was um, not that he was a very good painter, because he was, you know, five or six years old. Um, but he wanted to help his dad, and he did help him. But, but it wasn't that I needed that help, but it was nice to have that help. Now, that's a bad example, because um, it's a good example in some ways, because we really are have about the equivalent of a four or five-year-old's ability to paint a wall. Yeah, most, some are good at it, I guess, but most of them are not very good and get most paint over themselves as a wall. Uh, and so we're sort of like that too, but God still works with us there. And another way, we're more than that because God has gifted us. God has given us, it's almost like God, so one thing I didn't do that maybe I should have done is reach over to my son and put my hand on his, where he's painting and help him paint it instead of just show, do it this way, do it that way. God comes to us and puts his hands on us and shows us how to do it. And so there, there's a beauty here that God's saying, be excited. I have, I have prepared good works for you. You are, you are going to succeed. You are going to prosper. So I, I, I am not a prosperity gospel person, okay? I, I think there are many difficult times in our life. Um, I think that God does want us to prosper. I think also being in this fallen world that we don't always prosper. I don't think things always go right. And my example is Jesus Christ, okay? <laughs> and when Jesus walked this earth, things did not always go right for him. There were problems. And sometimes, a lot of times those problems were the people he was working with, the apostles, who were, you know, the ones he chose. And you think, well, he chose them. Yeah, they still had their issues, okay? We still have our issues. God chooses us. We still have our issues. So, so we go through life. There are good works for us, and God wants us to do them. He wants us to be excited, okay? He wants us to be confident that he's working out with us. Now, this, this is a, um, a hard situation we're in right now. Um, the world is in this situation now with this coronavirus. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what his will is for this, except that God, um, God brings good in lives, okay? He will work good, uh, and even in the midst of sorrow and tragedy, he will bring good out of things. So that is not, a, per se, a great comfort to many who've lost people, uh, friends and loved ones, and, and, uh, and to us as a whole that... Uh, have our lives sort of turned inside out, and yet God has promised that he will take us and he will work with us and that he will bring us through not just this situation, but our personal situation. 
So a lot of us are dealing with um, broken families, where some are dealing with drug addictions, some are dealing with the fact they've lost their jobs. And um, the encouragement here is that God is walking with us, that we should walk with him in this, and that he would give us comfort and he will deliver us. Um, and many times we don't see that deliverance here and now. Uh, it, it takes time and we look back and we say, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And other times we say, I have no idea why that happened to me. I'm, Job never knew why he lost his, his sons and daughters. And uh, he was restored uh, two times and all he had and, and had a new set of sons and daughters, except God never told him why. God never knew. So, so God will take care of us. He will walk, we, we should walk in these ways. And in this last slide here is just really a contrast between the two things. You used to walk in your trespasses and sins. But now you, you walk with God. You walk in good works created by God. Um, now there is an admonition here, and that's that you walk in good works, okay? So God does want us to walk with him in goodness, not in just walk. And that's why I say when you're saved, God saves us from something to something. So you might be at the situation of saying where, well, might there's nothing for me to walk in. I have no good in my life. There's nothing I can do. And I would say, you need to get with some believers. You need to pray. You need to be encouraged by one another. We are, we are told to encourage one another. You need to get in scripture and you need to plead to God and say, God, I don't know what I can do. I'm, I'm beyond where I, I, I can do anything, but you've promised that you have a walk for me. So show me the next step, okay? And a lot of times he does not show us the next 10 steps. In fact, very rarely does he show us what's gonna happen even a year or two from now. Um, because, that, because he wants us to walk in faith, and faith requires not seeing the end. And so God might have something for you to do today. I, I tell you, I suffer from depression. Um, I went through a very bad, bad uh, depressive a a episode where for days I couldn't really get out of bed. I just was totally, and, and my wife came by and, and she sat at the foot of the bed and laid her hands on me and just, didn't say anything, but I knew she was there, and she helped me, and she helped me get out, and so maybe God's calling you to be that kind of person to somebody, but maybe he's also calling you in that bed to get out and to do the next thing, and so I, I would lay in bed. I wouldn't lay in bed the whole day, but I'd lay in bed most of the day, and then I'd get up, and I would do something, and most of the time it was turned to scriptures and reading and trying to be encouraged, but then after a while, I generally would pick up what was, to, you know, being overwhelmed uh, at, at this particular point in time, there were a lot of things going on. One of the things is I was losing a company that I had founded and that uh, that was uh, ending in a very horrible death. Uh, not bankruptcy, but everything short of that. And um, God gave me something to do on that and bring that through. And so I, I think God, um, I, this is a message for all of us, but for those that are given to depression, despair, anxiety, the message is, Walk with God. Walk with God. He has something prepared for you. And if you can't see that, reach out both to him in prayer and to other people and talk to them and pray with them. Um, you know, I, I really think a lot of times um, when, you, when you have prayer requests, almost half of them are about health, uh, generally. I mean, that's, that's just 
sometimes it's far more than that. And sometimes I wonder if our health is not an issue because God said, well, if we made them all healthy, they never even talked to me, you know, because there's, there's this desire for God to have communion with us. And so um, we ignore him when times are good. And so, um, and, and not always, we give him thanks and praise, but you know, we don't dwell there. We give him thanks and praise almost as a tip a lot of times. And then we just enjoy the things he's given us. But what he really wants us to do is to enjoy him. And so sometimes he sends us bad times, hard times. Sometimes he sends us good times, all in a good mix because he loves us and cares for us. So um, that's this lesson. Um, uh, you can contact me. One last thing is uh, Jose actually has PDFs of these slides that are on our website, church website. So if you're listening on YouTube or whatever, um, you can go to uh, the church website and download any of the PDFs of this. Um, let's close in prayer. Lord, we do thank you that you love us and care for us. We thank you that you have created a wonderful life for us, that we were, we were without hope in the world, and yet you called us, you loved us, you called us to yourself, and you want us to be with you through all eternity. And as we suffer in this world, and we do, we suffer in this world, we know that you're using it to change us, to draw us closer to you, and to help us reach out to others who don't know you and draw them into this wonderful, great news that you'll be with us for eternity and love us for eternity. And so, Lord, I pray that we might have eyes and ears to reach out to those around us and to care for others and love others and that we would love you more too. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.